Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 60 of the Commando Voice. Today I speak with a U.S. representative. Please welcome Rick Larson. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Today, I got to speak with Rick Larson, who many of you probably know is a uh, U.S. representative for our state, uh, and he actually grew up very locally. Uh, he grew up in Arlington, Washington. Um, so I had a very short conversation with him because uh, he's pretty busy and had a lot of things he had to. He was on a thing doing a bunch of meeting with a bunch of different small businesses and stuff like that. Um, so, but he was able to squeeze in a 15 minute interview with me. Um, so we got to dive in. We tried to dive into a lot of the current events that are um, going on right now. Uh, because we didn't have a whole lot of time to get into more of his backstory and, and how he got to where he is. Uh, but we hear where he grew up, uh, a little bit about his family, and then we get into some of the current events that are going on, uh, including what's going on with the, between the House and the Senate and, and all of that. We get into a little bit of um, how um, the black community has been affected by COVID and how certain things like the PPP loan, which is the payroll protection program, um, how that didn't get, uh, wasn't being utilized by um, uh, black business owners, but then they'd made some adjustments that, that really helped it. So they saw those um, and were able to get those applications in. So um, how they made small adjustments, but uh, on a larger scale, how can we, you know, moving forward, what are some things that they see changing? So anyways, in this small 15 minute conversation, we actually got through quite a bit of stuff. So hopefully we can have them back later on the podcast and we can dive uh, deeper into some of these subjects. But without further ado, here's my conversation with U.S. Representative Rick Larson. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Command of Voice. Today, I'm here with U.S. Representative Rick Larson. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Rick. I will do that. So I was born and raised in Arlington, Washington, okay. and uh, my family has been in the region for about 130 years. Um, I like to say it's longer than some families and not as long as other families uh, in the area. But uh, on my dad's side, there there were Norwegian immigrants who came uh, in the late 1800s. Okay. Um, my mom's family came from uh, Germany in 1832, and uh, uh, so we've got a long long history here. But again, uh, uh, not as not as long as some folks uh, in the area. I was born and raised in Arlington, as I said. I'm one of eight kids, and my mom is still in Arlington in the house uh, I grew up in. Nice. And yeah, yeah, and uh, still got a chance to. Uh, see her uh, every once in a while, mow her lawn, uh, wash her car, <laughs> do things that sons are supposed to be doing. <laughs> Very cool. Where are you in the eight kids? I'm fourth. Okay. Uh, right in the middle, uh, <laughs> which is kind of where some people think I am politically as well. Uh, but uh, um, I think that uh, being being from a large family has helped me in politics a little bit. There mm -hmm. are a lot of personalities you're always dealing with and those personalities are dealing with me as well I'm, I'm it's not just a matter of me having to deal with with people I understand that I'm bringing my own personality into things as well and that that can influence how people see me and so you know you, you learn a lot being a 
uh, one of eight kids yes. in a house that's built probably for three kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got uh, four kids, and so you... You know, you watch the negotiations, you watch the... <laughs> <laughs> it's about right. That's yep. about how it works. So I'm so. sure you use all of those skills on a regular basis. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Very cool. What uh, what drew you to politics then? So my dad was on the Arlington City Council for uh, quite a long time, and he was a planning commissioner as well for the city of Arlington. My mom was very active in schools, um, I think in part because... Uh, I'm one of eight, and we, we all, there was always a Larson kid somewhere in elementary school, middle school, or high school, and my mom wanted to keep tabs on us, so she was actively involved in schools. Although she was never on the school board, uh, I like to think she was sort of the uh, phantom sixth school board member, um, just to keep tabs on things. So I think because of that community involvement mm-hmm. from both my parents... That influenced me a little bit about how to think about community and how to be involved in our community. And that was in part a driving force for me to get involved in what we commonly know as, as politics. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I ran for office in 1990, uh, um, get my, my years right, 1997 for Snohomish County Council and won and took office in 98. And then a couple years later, ran for U.S. Congress. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, how do you, so that's that's a pretty decent span of years. And how do you feel politics has changed over that course? Because um, I've yeah. heard a lot of uh, mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people through listening to podcasts and discussions, and that the left is farther left and the right is farther right, and that <laughs> things are all crazy now. So, well, um, things weren't uncrazy in two thousand and two thousand one either. I, you know, so I think that things have changed uh, a little bit. Technology has changed. Um, I remember an orientation in 2000, you know, go back to D.C. and you start your orientation, being issued a BlackBerry and a pager. Um, the pager was used for, uh, for um, pages to tell us when there was a vote on. And, a, a, and the BlackBerry was, it was news to me um, about how to use a BlackBerry, um, mainly using it for email, but also, you know, it's an early smartphone uh, that wasn't an Apple product, and yep. uh, and the U and the U.S. House representatives used Blackberries, um, so th- that's just that, that that's 2000. Now now up at 2020, um, smart smartphones are typical. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, that's the same for general uh, general uh, society and the general economy. We get about um, I remember in 2001 get about 60. I'm oh, no, sorry about about 35,000 pieces of mail paper mail mm-hmm. um, that first year. Uh, now, last year, I got 60,000 individual emails to the office uh, and about the same number of uh, pieces of paper mail, uh, about thirty, about 35,000. Um, so, you know, so thing, the, the use of technology has changed. Uh, that's that's one, one big change. Uh, the number of people I represent have gone from 646,000 to about 775. 755,000 okay. um, in the district. Um, political brinksmanship is a lot more commonplace. Uh, you mentioned left versus right or extremes. That, it, that manifests itself sort of, though, in, in brinksmanship, but, you know, d- b- taking issues to the deadline to force, to force some resolutions. I see a lot more of that than I did in the early 2000s mm-hmm. uh, when I was first elected. Um, Positive change. Uh, there are many more uh, women and people of color 
uh, elected to the U.S. House of Representatives than mm-hmm. were in, than there were in 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. um, and that's you know so we're getting slightly more reflective of the great diversity of the of the United States. But, right. But just thinking about women who are 52 percent of the population, I think um, it, there's about 120 uh, members of the U.S. House and U.S. Senate total that are women out of 400, uh, 535. So that's not. That's not 52% right. of the population. <laughs> right. Well, and it also brings up a lot of what's going on right now, especially with um, the black community and what's kind of going on there. Um, what kind of changes things? What are things you're seeing right now? Yeah, this is, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, you could say an exciting time, but obviously that, that really doesn't describe what's going on in the United States between um, the COVID-19 pandemic um, and the increasing uh, understanding of systemic racism uh, that exists in the United States as well, um, and the need to the need for Congress as the elected body to take action on these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when it comes to the needs the of the Black community, we really need to be a lot better in this country about responding to systemic racism. And, and historical scars from slavery that, that still exist and still play themselves out um, in a variety of ways in the United States, but but sort of uh, insidiously, sort of differently, um, thinking about the the long term impacts of redlining in our communities that is right. forcing forcing blacks to live in certain areas and not providing loans to buy homes in areas. That there is still a legacy of that. Um, I'm just thinking about the pandemic. We did the, um, uh, you know, you, you, you received a PPP loan, a payment protection program loan. We found after the first round of PPP loans that um, businesses owned by people of color were not getting the information about PPP and because mm-hmm. we weren't utilizing in, uh, financial institutions that people of color generally uh, were using. So we made changes okay. in the second round and actually did a better job in, of, of getting these PPPs to small businesses that are owned by people of color. Uh, but again, we have, to de- we have to think about these issues of equity in the design of the things that we do in Congress. Um, and uh, hopefully we've learned a few lessons well, um, and, and you mentioned redlining, and I know that's a conversation I've heard um, from a you know civilian level that we talk about and like an issue. Is there any conversation on the congressional level of redoing some of that to try and fix some of that stuff? Yeah, it's we we have a, a law called the uh, Community Reinvestment Act, the CRA, and uh, that would passed in the late seventies, I think, to try to address redlining. Um, uh, so, th- th- so the mechanisms do exist in the law to um, for, for Congress and for the agencies like Housing Urban Development Department to utilize in order to um, ensure that we don't slip back into uh, redlining. But we still have a long way to go mm-hmm. in this country. We have come a long way, and we should, we should be happy about that, but we shouldn't be satisfied with that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I think the difficulty is the, I mean, we are talking at a struct when we say systemic or uh, it's this structural level, which means you're breaking down everything at the foundational level, which is so much more difficult. But it's what's, you know, I, I think as people are seeing, it's very necessary to 
to really see true change in what's going on, right? Yeah, and, some of these yeah. barriers are baked into the system. Again, I just yeah. use an example of a, the PPP, the Payment Protection Program, which largely people say was a success to help support small businesses in the pandemic. But again, in the first round of PPP, we did not see businesses that are owned by people of color accessing that program as actively as um, uh, as businesses owned by whites. And that that was that that the that's just a matter of fact. That's yeah. just a sheer matter of numbers. It was really clear. So we had to go. We did go back. We did change, make changes to PPP, and uh, and then did see a definite increase in the number of businesses owned by people of color accessing PPP because of the changes that we made. We have to be deliberate about these things and mm -hmm. recognize them and not be afraid that there's a problem. Right. Actually recognize the problem and let's figure out how to fix it. Right. Um, so that, that brings in, um, what's, can you kind of bring us up to date with what's going on with Co not just COVID, but like the bills around that and everything yeah. that's going on there? Yeah. Well, like I say, um, uh, um, just because negotiations on COVID-19 aren't going well doesn't mean they aren't going. Mm -hmm. uh, they, are, they, are, they are going. It, it, there are just, there's a big, there's a wide chasm between what the House of Representatives wants and what the Senate and the White House want. In the House of Representatives, we passed the HEROES Act, which is the next version of COVID-19 relief, mm -hmm. in May. And then it was 10 to 11 weeks before the Senate even bothered to take up anything uh, with regards to the next stage of COVID-19 relief. So now the House and the Senate are at an, a bit of an impasse um, where, you know, the House position is that we want to help state and local, tribal, and territorial governments because of the economic fallout means um, fewer services are being provided by our by local governments. That we all, we take that for granted uh, until, until there's no one there to provide that service. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, in the House version of the HEROES Act, we proposed nearly a trillion dollars for all state, local, tribal, and territorial governments. Um, we proposed uh, about $100 billion for schools to help them with reopening. If they're going to reopen, either in person or hybrid or online, um, $100 billion in the HEROES Act for broadband, expanding broadband access. And if we want to talk about an issue where where there's an inequity, right. um, it's in broadband access. Mm -hmm. Rural areas, urban areas, um, some suburban areas as well. Uh, so there is, there's quite a bit of work left to do under the pandemic. Getting the Senate to come closer to the House position has been difficult, but I still think that um, as, of, as of this podcast, uh, as of this interview, um, we're... We are in a position where things um, are likely to get a little tougher um, in the United States because of unemployment, mm -hmm. um, businesses going out of business again. Right. Uh, and I really do think the numbers show that we need to do another round of COVID-19 relief to shore up the economy. Right. Well, and so, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, but aren't there large chunks of, even within the HEROES Act, that both sides agree on? Yeah, there are. I, I think I wouldn't say there's 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 large chunks where both sides agree on uh, um, the exact language. Okay. But certainly there are um, there are areas um, that we're debating and discussing where there's a dime's worth of difference as opposed to you know a billion dollars right. billion dollars worth of difference. Yeah. 
And um, but when you negotiate, right? Until everything's negotiated, nothing's negotiated. Okay. So uh, I think it's important that um, we do one package, not a series of smaller negotiated packages, uh, in order to uh, address these issues. And that's what the position position that you know we're in in the House of Representatives. And keep in mind, we did this. In the house, and mm-hmm. we we, did our, we did our bill in May. Um, we <laughs> saw this coming, and now we've been waiting on the house, uh, the Senate, and the White House to, to come along on that. So yeah. I would also note um, there's we talked about the economy. There's also seventy five billion dollars in for testing, contact tracing, the kind of actions that we need to take on the public health side because the public health. Um, pu- the public health response is going to lead the economic health response. We're still in that position. Wearing masks, being social, uh, practice good social distancing. Mm-hmm. Those public health measures are going to do more to get our economy back on track than anything else that we can do. But we do need to do these other things to uh, stabilize the economy. But right. public health is going to lead the economic health. Right. Well, and I know there's a lot of um, people that are um, you know, within the small business community, there's a lot of businesses that are struggling or going have closed because of this. Um, I know, especially with the school system, that you know a lot of them are starting to announce their plans, and there's a lot of um, difficulties for the the families that both spouses work and then they still have kids. And what do they do? And um, yeah, and so so the the problems are piling up because, uh, in my view, because we don't have a COVID nineteen relief package. Um, a, a, another round of COVID-19 relief for, for folks. But as, as schools reopen, whether that's hybrid or online or in person, and mostly around here it's been um, online with some, some schools going hybrid, you know, I think most parents thought we'd be through this by now and kids would be back in school in the fall, and that isn't mm-hmm. the case. And I am, you know, very empathetic to the frustrations that parents are having um, yeah. right now. I have... Uh, siblings who are teachers and school administrators and principals and so on. One's a superintendent of an entire school district uh, out on the peninsula. Um, they're, they're hearing it directly from parents. And so I, I do think that we need to continue to do all we can to get the public health response, get the answer to the public health um, uh, um, moving forward so we can get back to economic health and get kids back in school. But I am not a person who believes we should be forcing kids to go back into school. Mm-hmm. With parents, I, I, I do know parents want their kids to be safe. Right. Um, and I think you've seen that in other countries that have started rolling that out, that it starts to spike again. And so they even even countries like South Korea, who were very ahead of the curve, decided to re-shut down schools recently. So. Yeah. And we're seeing a little bit from universities around the country where – um, you know, 18 to 22 year olds are going to college and, yeah. and now they're having to roll those plans back yeah. and go online. And, you know, I, I don't want to see that kind of thing happen in the K through 12 system. Right. Um, so I'll do all I can to, you know, get help to their local school districts on this as well. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I'd love to come back at some time when I have a little bit more time, but yeah, uh, 
um, it's it's good to be home uh, away from Washington D.C. and yep. at home, and uh, appreciate what you're well, doing. Well, a big here. thank you to Rick Larson for joining awesome. me on the podcast thank today, and, and thank you for listening. I will talk to you on the and next I know political uh, is a very hot topic. It it always is, and it is probably more so now than ever. Um, so I understand that there's a lot of listeners that are going to either be very for or very against um, what like Rick Larson is trying to do. Um, but I do want to just throw out my empathy to anyone that is in a political position right now because we are going through a pandemic that has not been seen for, you know, 100 years um, or the situation of like. And um, the amount of stuff that they're having to deal with right now is just, I mean, it's just insane. And so whether you agree or disagree with politically, um, you know, these these our Congress, our representatives, um uh, I do just hope that everyone gives some empathy to what they're having to deal with. And um, anyways, they are trying to do their best in, in the way that they believe is best. So anyways, um, for any more information on this episode, you can go to kamenocommons.com slash 60 or EP60. That's kamenocommons.com slash EP60. Thanks for listening and see you next time.